This call is being recorded. You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, you guys know how Tuesdays work. We get you your PFF episode, PFF episode with John Costco. Now we get you Twitter Tuesday with Pete Smith. From Browns Maven, through SI.com, your local experts on the biggest stories of all things Cleveland Browns for your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. Uh, Pete, on a day like today on social media, it's always loved to, always fun and you love to deal with the aftermath. And, you know, look, you know, not to absolve Freddie here of anything and, you know, abandoning the running game. Of course, something you can fault them for and things of this nature. But Pete, you know, so much of it is you need to adjust to the fact, to the pass rush. You need to adjust. Um, how they beat Pittsburgh the first time was a couple of deep shots early, which led to some set success, got you up 14 0. Uh, you know, this time you got up 10 0 without the deep shots. But, you know, Pittsburgh, we spoke about, you know, 31 of their 39 sacks going into yesterday's game. At home, uh, and everybody, well, you know, you find a way to coach around it. Okay, well, when you coach around it, Pete, their tackles are terrible, and you had McCray out there yesterday instead of Greg Robinson. Yeah, you would have had, rather had Greg Robinson, but somebody today, you know, well, Greg Robinson has been serviceable. You never want to speak about your left tackle and use the term serviceable. Uh, well, you know, have a tight end chip. Pete, we're talking about two – uh, we're talking about three tight ends who played yesterday. One was a former college basketball player. Two were former college wide receivers. Why is it so hard to accept the fact that they don't really bring anything much in pass pro? That was even with Wyatt Taylor getting beat for a couple of big ones yesterday. And he was one of the higher graded blocking guys in the 70s. They just can't pass pro. And this is the semblance of where it's at right now. Well, I think I think the offense wasn't as good as it should have been in some respects. Certainly, there's plenty of room to criticize uh, their their choice of plays in terms of getting out of the run. Uh, obviously, you know Ricky Shields Jones is not he's not a blocker. You know, you knew that coming in, and you were you were put in positions where you were having him block, or try to block, or whatever the hell that was, uh, and you know it didn't work. And there's only so much one can do, and you're getting beat. You're basically down to three offensive linemen, which is what they were. And, you know, their two tackles didn't do anything. They were just getting beat. Um, and you can run the ball. Uh, they should have run it more. I think that would have helped in certain respects uh, in terms of creating some uncertainty and those type of things. But, you know, they, they lost control of the line of scrimmage after about the first quarter, and the Steelers took complete control. And I, I don't think uh, – I, I just think – I think this game was lost, you know, at that point. And I think that game was lost from that standpoint, you know, by the front office. And I think Kevin Colbert was better than John Dorsey in the same respect that a lot of people are, are, are trying to talk about how, how Mike Tomlin would be better than Freddie Kitchens. I mean, that's fine, but um, that's it's, – it's a group 
thing. It's an organizational thing that has to get better. And until that happens, that's going to be a problem. And, you know, they, they gambled on some things from the front office perspective this year that didn't work. Um, offensive tackle being one of them. I, you know, they're playing basically the same level they were last year. They're just not that good. And if you, if Greg Robinson is better, great. Um, still not where it needs to be. Uh, I clearly, it would have made a big difference. He had his way largely with, with Dupree in the first matchup, and Jess McRae is back. I mean, he's not a tackle. He's maybe a guard if he's anything. Um, and it, it, it just, it just hurt everything on the offensive side of the ball. And they did some things to compensate for it. They did some quick passes to tailbacks out of the backfield that made some big gains, and, and they had opportunities. They, you know, they obviously had that ball that that Landry couldn't wrangle uh, down by the down by the goal line in the corner. Um, ultimately, you know, you 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 think you should win a game where you only give up 20, and you shouldn't win any game where you can only score 13. Um, they did get out to that 10 to zero uh, lead, and that you know they, they, that was basically it for most of the game. They had opportunities and they couldn't capitalize, and that's been that's been the diagnosis on the season for the most part. And there are things where it's players need to get better. There are things where coaches need to get better. And there are issues that just aren't going to get better because they just can't do it. And I think Chris Hubbard has thoroughly proven he can't do it. And he wasn't the only one, Justin McCray. And, and there were some other players that didn't, didn't perform as well as they should. And that's sort of where this thing's at. Uh, it- for me, though, and with this with the pass pro, for me, it's like, look, I mean, realize that it's to the point now where it's dire. And we spoke about this, you know, you you brought back Robinson. You were going to do him and Hubbard part two. We've talked about where we feel the most important part for Baker is the interior. Uh, you moved on from Zeitler. And look, I mean, I, I'm never going to argue. I'm never going to argue with you that pass rusher should be more important than right guard. But Pete, we're to the point now where it was uh, Corbett, Cush. What was the other kid's name? The other guy's name, Christman. So that's guard. So that's three. Uh, there was some Drew Forbes talk at right guard. So there's your fourth guard. Uh, now we are on Wyatt Teller, which is guard five. I had some people telling me today, well, maybe we should play McCray. I mean, just accept the fact that none of these guys are really good enough. And I'm not, I don't want to put Teller in there. I don't want to put Forbes. But this is how big of a hole you created when you moved on from a guy who was sniffing all pro last year. And yes, making a ton of money, but probably deserved. You just don't fill in from player. It's not unless you're going to put a premium draft pick into it, which maybe they thought Corbett was, was, and which they did think Corbett was. So swing and a miss on that. But I mean, are we really, you know, to the point now where it's, you know, we're talking about the possibility of trying a sixth guy at right guard? God sakes. Um. So. Again, I've been consistent with this. I'll defend the trade for Olivier Vernon all the way. Um, The timing sucked. You know, it wasn't what you wanted to have happen. Obviously, um, if you make the – you hit with the Austin Corbett pick, it would have been essentially covered. Um, Maybe if they picked Will Hernandez, maybe if they picked Connor Williams, you know, one of those guys steps in and plays well. You know, that's where this thing sort of falls apart. 
but I don't I can't imagine there would have been another opportunity where the Browns could have won unloaded the contract they eventually were going to have to get out of um, and got something for it and not just got something for it got a really good player Olivier Vernon um, you know again the timing sucks you, you, you wish you could have you know been able to stabilize the position before that but again I don't think you were going to be able to wait and get that deal again and that's sort of what that comes down to. So, you know, we don't like where the result is, but let's say Wyatt Teller becomes the answer, and I think he still can be. I really like what I see from Wyatt Teller in a lot of things. Uh, I know the second half of that game is one he'd like to, you know, forget, but he's just got to get better, and, and, and I think he can get better. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm generally positive when it comes to him and where they can go. But if we come back to this next year, you know, and, and Wyatt Teller is playing at a high level, and he's been very good. Uh, past the part, this was really his first true falter. I mean, they had the one issue in the first game he played as a starter where the, the communication on the uh, stunt wasn't good. That's really more of an experience as opposed to a lack of ability. Uh, but he's been rock solid other than that up until this game. So if we come back into this next year, and we've got Wyatt Teller, he's playing at, at, at a – a level where we're satisfied with right guard, he's on a rookie contract, and you have this stud who has played great for the Browns when he's been healthy, you know, with Dave Vernon. You know, again, it's a, it's a little bit of a you know, slow burn move, but I'll defend it. But the things you can't defend are obviously picking Austin Corbett in the first place. Just straight didn't work. And that's where this really, you know, becomes an issue. The same way that, you know, the, the Duke Johnson thing, the, the, he, he completely screwed up the initial handling of Duke Johnson, but he was able to make it work in getting a, a very nice pick for, for Duke Johnson in, in the third rounder. So it's one of those where, you know, you don't love how it got there, but the, the result is certainly one that, that you're happy with uh, ultimately. Uh no, I and I agree with you there. And let's let's see where we're at with Teller because any chance you can save some money, and but part of it was though is you know when it's Bud Dupree, it's T.J. Watt, it's Casey Hayward, and so even when they tried and like all right, well the backs got to take care of this and, and the tight ends got to worry about the outside guys, even on the the instances where they got it done, you get a Hargraves, you know you know getting a win or two against Teller. It's look you just got to understand. And this is where it's aggravating for the most is, you know, you know, Pittsburgh's got a really solid pass rush. When you're construing your roster, start with what do I got to do to beat these three teams that have faced twice each a season? What do I got to do to beat these guys? Because if I can go five and one, four and two, six and oh in my division, hopefully everything else will figure itself out. And, And there's the issue with that. Um, Danny Hughes, what will it take for Freddie to see the benefits of max protection? Here's the problem. You still had $30 million in cap space. You you didn't bring in Kareem Hunt to block. Look, Nick Chubb really isn't here to block. So what are you now going to do with these teams who've got really good pass rush and are maybe bringing five or six? Are you going to put two guys into the pattern against four five in coverage that's not going to work either I, mean, I i think people severely undervalue pass protection and and that's what i've gotten all day today on twitter is people just aren't getting how important 
having your guys be able to win in pass pro. It is essential. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. It doesn't matter who the wide receivers are. It doesn't matter who the running backs are. If Baker Mayfield is running for his life and there's only two to three guys in the pattern, the one play, what did he run around for six seconds, threw that ball deep over the middle, you know, kind of a wet ball, wet field. Higgins did his best, didn't get it. But that's not the thing. You don't want to be playing jailbreak football. That is not what Baker is. He can move, and Baker will even admit it. I can move around. I ain't Lamar Jackson. I ain't Josh Allen. I ain't these other guys. People are, are severely underestimating pass protection. Well, so as far as Max Protect goes, that was something they did quite a bit last year, but they also had the personnel to do it. Um, you had Darren Fells, who did a lot of blocking. I think that's, you know, Demetrius Harris does quite a bit of blocking, and, and, and especially early in the game, they would line up with multiple tight ends on the right side, you know, at least as a way to sort of get in the way of T.J. Watt uh, before he got to Chris Hubbard, and they did some of that stuff. But you also got rid of Duke Johnson, and Duke Johnson was a fabulous pass protector, uh, you know, to the point where it got frustrating for people that he wasn't getting the ball because he was always in pass protection. So uh, if uh, the question is, when is Freddie going to understand? Well, he, he has and does, does. He did it quite a bit last year, and there's certainly merits to that. But you were left with uh, Ricky Seals-Jones trying to pass protect. It was a disaster. Not having Njoku really hurt you on that front. Um, he can block. Uh, he's gotten a lot better at it. Um, and, and, you know, Stephen Carlson, I really like Stephen Carlson. I think he's, he's becoming a really nice player. Um, you know, I don't know if that's really what he's here, here to do necessarily. So everything comes with, you know, pros and cons, and you ultimately have to make decisions. But the roster isn't situated the same way it was last year in that respect. And obviously – you know, Greg Robinson didn't miss any games last year, which also helps. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, offensive tackle is an issue. They have to get better. They have to really make that move uh, this offseason. They, they, you know, they, they, they put it off uh, in, in a way that I can sort of understand. Again, I wouldn't have picked Austin Corbett. Uh, I would have picked Connor Williams. But, uh, you know, th- this has been setting up for this. They have been, you know, they took Drew Forbes, and I think Drew Forbes would be a nice player. It's just a question of where they're going to put him. But it's been set up for this. They've been waiting for this class. They made the moves they did, like getting Beckham and those type of things. And they, they added a bunch of players to the defense. And five of those guys had to play yesterday on defense. Five rookies were out there, including a guy who was on the street a couple weeks ago. Uh, so this is where it's at. And this is why I keep saying that, you know, short of just a complete – massive vacuum of lack of value. That's the pick in the first round. All these people keep talking about it. I actually saw a media member actually say today, well, I guess the Browns should start look I guess people could should start looking at pass protectors. I mean <laughs> offensive linemen. Start looking at offensive linemen. It's like welcome to the season. It's week twelve. So uh, yeah. This, this is the charge of your team. This is what has to happen. And and uh, you know we'll see what happens with with Freddie Kitchens and his staff, we'll see what happens with John Dorsey and his staff. Um, it's that's that's the deal. You, you have to address offensive tackle in a meaningful way. It's going to last. Uh, you're you're likely not going to have either of those guys back next year, um, and you have to address other positions that have become a, just a, a, a barren wasteland like safety right now. So 
welcome to the 2020 offseason and what's going to be there. Um, again, you know, if we're talking about John Dorsey's vision for this whole thing, some of the moves he made, uh, you know, beyond the misses that he, he's had, were with a little bit of a longer-term vision than maybe they should have, uh, and maybe that will pay off in the, in, in the end, but it's certainly painful in the short term. This is no different than some of the stuff Sashi Brown did when he was here, taking some long-term plans uh, here. But, you know, the, the way they did it, uh, the way they sort of put their eggs in, in, in various baskets, like pass rusher and wide receiver, they, they put themselves in a position where they were deferring on the other, other spots and hoping to muddle through. That didn't work, and this is where they're at. So that's, that's what's going to have to happen. Uh, I was, um, we, we've had Kyle Murphy on the show. Um, if you don't know Kyle, uh, he was former, uh, friend of Pete Norris, former all American guard at Arizona state. He was the left guard for Jake Plummer. And you know, talking about all this today, you know, bunch of messages back. He's like, um, Baker is supposed to be the key to changing the entire Browns narrative. Yeah. You might want to get him a left tackle. You can't, you can't piecemeal left tackle and right tackle. And that's what John's done to this point. And this is kind of where we're at. We got more listener questions coming on your Twitter Tuesday episode of Locked on Browns, Jeff Lloyd, Pete Smith. Guys with the holidays coming, you're going to buy your Browns gear and everybody, oh, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. You're all a bunch of liars. You ain't out. You've been around this stinking long. Zaboapparel.com. Zabo Apparel on Twitter. Can't talk enough about him. Veteran-owned company. Uh, the products are fantastic. Uh, when you wash them, nothing deteriorates. The color's still there. Trust me, if you want to buy some Browns gear for you and yours this holiday season, go ahead and check out my folks over at Zabo Apparel, zaboapparel.com. Uh, there's a number of these, Pete. Um, how safe is the floor? under Freddie Kitchen's feet right now? I don't know. Um, this feels very, with Freddie, it feels very fall guy-ish, is what I'll say. Is you know, Does there have to be a fall guy for what went on this year to maybe cover up for some of the inadequacies of the general manager? Yeah, I, I think that is one option in this is they could go well somebody has to take the blame for this we're gonna have him do it um i don't know if i'd use the word safe but i i think they really want this to stay together if for no other reason i don't think for, look for one a number of reasons i think john dorsey bears more blame than a lot of people are, are willing to hand him on this and I think he needs to be his fate needs to be more tied to Freddie Kitchens than it currently is uh, because for whatever you want to put on Freddie Kitchens for this season, I think Dorsey deserves as much, if not more, blame for it. Um, I, the, the thing I look at with this is I assume if Freddie Kitchens gets fired, Mike McCarthy's the coach. Um, that's my assumption. I, you know, that's not based on anything other than I think that's what would happen. But I, I, I have a difficult time believing that Mike McCarthy can assemble a good staff. 
Um, obviously, you just saw an entire coaching staff would effectively be replaced after one year when John Dorsey was supposed to be the you know the representative of credibility, and they were going to turn this thing around. And you know, this was a different Browns team, and you're doing all these things that would essentially make you you know back into that you know chaotic mess where you know there's always it's always about blame it's always about figuring you know figuring out who's wrong and 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 sort of finding a guy to sort of put all the faults of the thing on ignoring the rest of the picture um i'm hoping right this second i could certainly change my mind that they're, they're going to sort of look at this and say look this wasn't good by anybody this year, we need to sort of come together and get this thing figured out, have a better 2020 than we did 2019, and hope everybody gets better because uh, the, the natural follow-up here is that, you know, they, they hire another coach and it's still not good enough or whatever, and then a year or two, they still are struggling that they or maybe the coach is better than the GM and, they, you know, we're, we're back in the same dynamic where we're we're doing this thing where we're, we're, we're not putting a group together and letting it happen. Um, I, I just think Sean Dorsey's floor shouldn't be as, as safe as maybe uh, it probably is given everything that's happened. But uh, I, I, nothing would surprise me at this point. I, my opinion right now on December 2nd is that the the prospect of firing Freddie Kitchen sounds way more attractive than actually doing it and everything that would come with it. Well, and here's the thing, though. It's, you know, starting a new relationship again and all of this stuff. And maybe when you go into this new year two and, you know, Freddie has more of a realization and uh, as far as what he wants. So him and John can go do the senior bowl. They can do the combine. And John says, oh, I really like this guy. And Freddie says, well, yeah, but, or yeah, he's a mean old cuss and he's athletic and he fits everything. I, I don't know. It, it would, to pull the plug, I, I don't know. Maybe it's cutting your nose to spite your face because we could be doing the same freaking nonsense shows a year from now where it's not having everybody on the same page. And part of it is, you know, Freddie's inexperienced. That's fine. And, you know, and John's made his mistakes. Uh, you know, maybe we find some common ground here and, we get through this together and we don't just go from end of season clean house and let's move on. Um, you know, and starting to start everything all over from Corey Kimmon. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine a scenario where Steve Wilkes is back next year. What defensive coordinator do you think would be a good match to the personnel we currently have on the roster? Here's my thing here. Um, defensively, I don't necessarily see these issues even yesterday um this offense as advertised was supposed to score mid-20s 30 a week yesterday was the first time uh counting 2018 2019 so you were now talking 16 you're now talking 28 games yesterday was the first time the browns started an offensive line that they didn't get to choose one starter greg robinson obviously in the concussion protocol didn't start yesterday. This is the first time they've had to change their offensive line due to injury. So that's fine. That's great. Um, yeah, still have Jarvis. You still have Odell. You now have Kareem. You have, you know, Nick, obviously. You have Baker. 
look what Steve Wilkes has dealt with. Um, a stretch of, you know, there was a game where he didn't have a starting secondary. There was a month of not having a starting corners. Uh, Demarius Randall has pretty much just checked the freak out of this franchise. Um, you know, whether or not what's the current rumor going around is true or not, I don't know. Um, there's not enough validity to it, but like he's all about whatever is his next, con- next contract or the fact that he's got his degree, but he's kind of left this franchise high and dry. Um, no Miles Garrett, Olivier Vernon banged up. Uh, you know, you lost Larry Ogunjobi, you know, one week due to the suspension. I don't know how you can look at any of this. And if Steve Wilkes leaves, Pete, you know, the only place he can leave is to be a head coach. And I'm not sure he's done enough this year. He's going to get another ho- head coaching gig. But of all these coaches, I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose Steve Wilkes. Right. Uh, I think part of the reason I'm inclined to want to stay with Freddie Kitchens is because of Steve Wilkes. I think Steve Wilkes has been outstanding. Um, other than the pantsing he took from uh, Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, his schemes have been right on. And keep and in mind that Kyle Shanahan loss started with Demarius Randall saying, uh, ah, made a bu- business decision to first play the game and gave up an 80-yard touchdown run. But go ahead. Yeah, uh, but yeah, like he, he's had to juggle corners over and over again. He's had to deal with safeties, injuries, all this type of stuff. I mean, yesterday the Browns were down to – they had Greedy Williams playing. He's been playing. They had Mac Wilson playing. He's been playing, but they're both rookies. Um, they had Sione Takitaki out there. He's a rookie. They had Sheldrick Redwine forced to start because Demarius Randall got essentially grounded. So they had four drafted rookies out there, and then they had to play guys like Porter Gustin, who's an undrafted rookie, street free agent. And, I mean, I get it. It's Devlin Hodges, but they held him to 20, and 20 you know, should be enough to win a game, and the offense should need to be able to do more. They lost the game earlier this year when they held the Rams to 20. Um, they've been in multiple games where turnovers have just sort of, you know, left them out there to die. Uh and forced the penalty, you know, forced points that, you know, that were essentially unfair in how they were got gotten there. I, I think uh, most of the veteran players that have been here under Wilkes have gotten better. Uh, Miles Garrett obviously was to me was playing defensive player of the year level football before his suspension. Olivier Vernon was great before he hurt his knee. Joe Schobert is having a career year. Uh, you know, I look at all these players and I, and I see, you know, some, some growth out of players like Mac Wilson uh, and, and those type of things. And I'm sitting there going, I, I don't know what people think a defensive coordinator does. It's not like Greg Williams last year where he would send everything and the defense would get behind him and just score. I mean, it, it, you know, they're, they're, he's aggressive, but he covers his bases enough where they may get beat, but they're going to tackle and they're going to set, set up for another, you know, series of downs. And uh, like yesterday, in terms of scheme, you know, you, you make that one big 31-yard throw, which seemed to sort of set the tone for what was coming. To Greedy Williams, the the scheme was right. Greedy Williams was there. He wasn't didn't make the most of his position and ultimately gave up the play. Denzel Ward was in position a number of times. They had that that reception with Shelter Redwine and, and company sort of draped over him. There were a number of these plays where guys were there and just didn't do the job. And that's not a failure of scheme, which is what he's here to do. 
you know, earlier in the year, you know, and, and, and I've criticized Steve Wilkes for some of his personnel use, but that Denver Broncos game, like Noah Fant broke essentially three tackles. Scheme wasn't the problem. It's guys need to do a better job. And I'm inclined to believe that, you know, as these young players get more seasoned and sort of acclimate to the NFL in general, they're also going to get better with the scheme. He's also going to get better coaching to his players. And that's where I feel like continuity may be a benefit. But, it, like, to me, if you get – if you're saying you want to fire Steve Wilkes, that would make Freddie Kitchens far less – like, I would be far more inclined to move on from Freddie Kitchens. I think Steve Wilkes is an invaluable part of the staff. I think he's just – I get this every week when, when there's some play given up or whatever, and they go, well, Steve Wilkes is stuck. I think he's been really, really good. And I think the shame of it is he's running this 4-2-5 scheme, which, by the way, has become a 4-3 scheme because Taki Taki's playing that X position, which is yep. a now, uh, that give him the safeties he needs to run that scheme. Get, get, him, get him the personnel. Uh, I think if you do that. And by the way, that may be the reason that Dorsey keeps this coaching staff more than any other. I don't think he wants to have to tear down you know, his draft again. You know, I don't think he wants to be in a position where he has to trade Jannard Avery again or, you know, that type of move where then they have to ship out a bunch of players to fit another new scheme. So he essentially has to, you know, take it part of his own acquisitions to do it. And, and again, I, I don't like the trade. I think they should have made it work or figured it out. But ultimately, the guy who takes it on the nose there, and I give him credit for being willing to do it, I suppose, is being willing to sort of surrender to the scheme. and you know, do that and make that trade for, for Jannard Avery or those things. Or if it's Emmanuel Ogba for, for uh, Eric Murray and, and everything that sort of went with that, uh, you know, that may be the reason that, that this thing's sort of going to be kept together is Dorsey in particular has really, really lent himself uh, to these things. And, and I don't think he wants to have to do that again. Yeah, exactly. And, and even if it's, you, you talk with Steve and say, Hey, maybe it's, not so much let's let's rock this big nickel thing you know and look it, it's not really that hard to go four three because look you know mac wilson's got some athleticism joe Schobert, if you put sioni takitaki at the mic has enough athleticism you know away from the line of scrimmage to do these things there's a way steve can make this work and it's look now it's you know it was year one of john dorsey all right let's get some talent in here now it's okay. Well, we fired everybody. All right, now let's fit things for Steve Wilkes' system. And all right, well, now Steve's gone. Okay, well, I mean, it's literally how it's literally tires stuck in the mud, and because you're continuously chasing to try to fit what the current norm is, but then you're not satisfied with the current norm. The biggest fear right now would be to change any of it because look, it's close, and we've seen weeks where. It looks really good, Buffalo, Baltimore. And then there's weeks where it's not. I mean, glaring weaknesses, yeah, look, you need safety help on defense. You're going to get Miles Garrett back. Olivier Vernon, that knee thing's going to get figured out. Uh, so you're going to tell me now that, you know, you extend Joe Schobert, and you've got Joe Schobert, you got Sione Takitaki, two guys who are deep, deep football guys as far as the way the game is played. Mac Wilson, as much as we gave him a hard time, the kid's got talent. He's got heart. He's trying. A lot of it's coming at him. Maybe his biggest mistake was he left Alabama a year too soon, which is fair. It's fine. You got Denzel. 
you got greedy. Maybe it's to the point where you can let him play a little bit more man-on-man. Stop trying with this knocking the ball out once the receiver's trying to catch it. Let them just read, react, and play. That's something you got to focus on. We're going to get to a little bit more here with Pete Smith on your Twitter Tuesday of Locked on Browns. Uh, You know what makes a great holiday gift? Sometimes folks need something that they don't necessarily ask for. Uh, I need this. I want this. What do you really need? Sometimes you need a suitcase. Away.com can provide that for you. So go ahead, check it out. Away.com slash locked on, lowercase. Buy somebody a suitcase. Look, everybody travels. You got to go somewhere, whether you want to or not, whether it's a bad incident where you got to travel or you're going away on vacation. You need to pack your stuff. You need to get away for a couple of days. Away.com. We appreciate them for their sponsorship of the Locked on Browns podcast. Uh, Pete, and and this is one here. Um, is guard, and it, it's probably a little too early to tell. Uh, and look, you've got four picks in the top, which will be the top 96. Is it, what do you think is easier to acquire? Because look, you, you know it's going to be two tackles. Is it easier to maybe possibly find the guard in free agency? Probably is. Or the safety in free agency. It's probably got to be guard, no? Well, I mean, you're looking at the situation where, like, you know, there's going to be a free agent again. Uh, the dude we wanted last year, Trey, whatever, uh, Trey, whatever his face, who signed with Carolina. Trey Boston. Uh, Trey Boston. He's going to be a free agent again, unless, you know, he signs an extension. Uh, you're going to have guys like Rodney McLeod out there who's going to be a free agent. You know, I don't know if he's particularly interesting to me, but he's going to be out there. There are going to be players that, you know, I think it's going to be more about those things. Uh, as far as guard, I don't know why we're trying to acquire a guard in free agency. They did that many times last year. They got Eric Cush. I mean, that's what he is. He's a swing guy and a developmental guy. You got Wyatt Teller. You have Drew Forbes. Uh, it, it, you know, is he a guard or is he a tackle? I mean, that's a real important question that needs to be solved. But, you know, other than sort of trying to capitalize on a nice value out there, I don't really see a big need for it. I mean, I, I'm not worried about it. But, I mean, it, 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 I, I'm assuming you, the, the idea here is that they want a starting guard, and I don't know if you need that. Uh, but uh, in, in general, I would say right now, it would be easier to acquire a free agent safety just because there appear to be a number of them that could be out there, including guys, you know, we, we wanted uh, that were available, but uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'd also look to New Orleans and say, Hey, look, you got like a million of them. Uh, what do you need to uh, wiggle a safety out of that system? Uh, Cause you know, the, a couple of guys there that could have easily rushing it. Yes, and and then you still have Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Lockdown Brown's favorite, uh, Squan Hampton. Um, That's a team maybe you want to look to, and if you can find a way to move something, anything, and get a safety out of a team like that, then maybe something to go with. Pete, this NFL weekend, biggest takeaway. Sorry, say that again? This NFL weekend, biggest takeaway. Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think 
this weekend reinforced just how critical line play is and as much as you know you know valuation and stuff and people talk about well it's you know the numbers say such and such position is more valuable than than whatever and and i'm not trying to dispute those numbers all i would say is you know at the end of the day you got to be able to block and tackle uh and and that came up big this weekend uh, both in college and the nfl uh, and that is what ultimately lost the Brent Hunt's the game on, on Sunday. They have to be able to block better and they have to be able to tackle better. And until they do those things, they're going to have a really difficult time winning with any consistency, uh, let alone, you know, sweeping the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm not going to ask you to rank them, but we know it's Ohio State. We know it's Clemson. We know it's LSU. Obviously, we're going to championship game weekend. Who should be that fourth team right now, Pete? Uh, right now, I'm inclined to go with uh, Utah. Um, and part of me, uh, man, I'd love to make a crack hit right here, but I probably no screw it. If Orrin Hatch drops dead, I want Utah in the playoff. If they don't, then I kind of want him to get screwed because he's a whiner. Um, <laughs> and in that case, you can put George in there. I, I think Utah is a very good team. I think if Baylor. Uh, or is able to beat Oklahoma or whoever wins that matchup is probably going to slingshot them in there um, just because uh, the Pac-12 is so far down. Uh, they, they they just have a lot of these middling teams as opposed to some really dominant Exactly. Teams. For Utah, it's like, well, oh, that's great. You won the Pac-12 championship, but who did you beat to actually get there? If Baylor wins it, they overcame what was their loss in Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, look, they're both going to have interesting cases to make. Um, obviously, they're going to end up. They're going to play Oregon. Oregon is a very nice team um, uh, versus Oklahoma, who's going to take on Baylor. You know, we'll see what what those games go on. But right now, I, I, I think I think Utah is the fourth best team in the country. Georgia probably should be, but they just keep choking, and and they make this. They, they have so much talent. They make it look so much harder than it should be in some of these games, and I don't understand why. And so at the moment, I'm inclined to say go with Utah. The fact that Gary Danielson is making a case for Utah says all I need to know about what he thinks about Georgia. It makes a good point. And the other thing is obviously Danielson, very well connected, could be could be one of those reading the tea leaves type of thing. Uh, Pete, latest over at Browns Maven. Well, I mean, in, in light of the results of yesterday, it's been – Reacting to that, uh, you know, calling out John Dorsey while everybody else is focusing on Freddie Kitchens, I think that's sort of lost in this whole thing. And you know, I, I wrote about uh, Baker Mayfield. I was genuinely in awe of him yesterday in terms of his leadership and uh, character in that game. I think both Steelers games combined with how he reacted to the Miles Garrett uh, thing in the moment and then how he you know, carried himself in that game, both in the game and after, really sort of showcased why I think, you know, he's going to be a fantastic quarterback, in addition to the fact he has the necessary talent to get there. You know, you can't have one without the other. Um, And obviously his toughness was extremely impressive. I was just uh, in awe of that. And then uh, I just put up a thing about uh, about this this topic and and where I'm at right this second on Freddie Kitchens and the staff. uh, And I did something else. Oh. I poked fun at the whole T-shirt thing, 
God, that's a contrived storyline that made no difference. Uh, and yet here we are still talking about it. And, and you know, I think it, the point was made on PTI, and I don't think wrongly, if Freddie Kitchens gets fired uh, after the season, the shirt will come up. The shirt didn't matter, but it will come up if he gets fired. Yeah, and it was actually funny because um, I uh, I was in Atlantic City early yesterday. I was actually back in time for a kickoff and in the elevator checking out some <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers fans. And, you know, we were joking around because, you know, elevators at checkout time, you're in those things for freaking ever. That elevator stops on every stinking floor. And we, we talked about that. And, like, the Steelers have talked shit. These were Steelers fans. They've talked shit to the Browns forever. Nobody cared. I mean, like, it, it, that is stupid. It's contrived. It's the NFL. You're paid essentially to win. Nobody cares about any of that crap. Uh, guys, appreciate you. Obviously, the pregame. I mean, I'm sorry, the post game, uh, you know, PFF and the Twitter Tuesday here with Pete. It's we just have a blast getting this content off for you. Uh, look, none of us are happy where this product currently is. No, none of, nobody is. Um, but dismantling it and starting over again, it just seems so stupid at this freaking point. Because, and as we outlined, now you're talking about roster decisions and. Look, th- there's enough here, and you have the seven draft picks. Work out the salary cap, and obviously some guys are going to be moved up, where that moved away from where that cap rises. It, it, it's not that far away. It shouldn't be that difficult, and hopefully it, it's it's not that difficult, and they can get it there. Four to go. Bengals this week. We'll start shifting to Bengal talk here with crossover Wednesday tomorrow. For Pete Smith from Browns Maven through SI.com. Make sure you're following at Browns Maven on Twitter. Make sure you're following at underscore Pete Smith underscore. The show, as you know, at Lockdown Browns. Always follow back account. DMs always open. Me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. DMs are always open. Guys, stuff you want on the show, stuff you don't want to talk about on social media, hit me up over there. Appreciate everybody for being along for the ride. This has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.